Well, good morning. Let's go back to 580 BC. Let's talk about that. 580 BC, Persian Empire invaded Greece. One of the most famous battles from this is called the Battle of Thermopylae. And it's uh, where a coalition of Greek city-states came together to withstand the much larger Persian army. Greeks were led by Sparta and their king Leonidas. And the number that we may know most from this, it comes probably from the movie that you might have seen, um, that's 300. There were 300 Spartans who led the battle, although they were joined by roughly about 7,000 other Greek soldiers. Um, But they were fighting what modern scholars estimate to be a Persian army of 120 to 300,000 people. So for two days, Persians tried and failed to get past the Greek soldiers through this mountainous pass that was about uh, roughly about 100 yards, 100 meters or so, but 109 yards, which is a little over a football field. Persians couldn't get past the Greek phalanx and lost quite a few soldiers along the way. But on the third day, they decided they would outflank the Greeks, kind of snuck around, which I don't know how you do with a large army, but, and they would attack from both sides and eventually defeat the Greeks. So technically, that's a loss for the Greeks. But the aim of so few soldiers standing firm against the far greater number of Persians was creation. Technique was also used later in the invasion to help repel the Persian army and navy. Plus, there were a lot of really great quotes that came out of that. Uh, The Persian king Xerxes told Leonidas to lay down their weapons and surrender. And Leonidas' response was, okay, well, come and take them. It's like, yeah. And then uh, there's one where somebody had told one of the Greeks, well, the Persians, when they fire their arrows, it would be enough to like blot out the sun, and the Greek responded, well, then it'll be good to fight in the shade. I'm like, they're they're different. They're different. (laughs) Ultimate goal, though, for them was to stand firm in battle, defensively holding their position. You know, we're in a battle as well, but our battle is not against other people, as we're going to see today. Our battle is a spiritual battle, and it's against a pretty formidable army, uh, Satan and his foes. And it's a battle that if left to us on our own, we're probably not going to be able to, to defeat them. But we're not on our own. Today we're finishing up our sermon series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So it's the 12th week we've been in this, and we've gone through uh, the six chapters. Today we're going to be looking at how we can stand firm in spiritual battle. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, you want to open them up there. We're going to start in verse 10, as Paul tells his readers to be strong in the Lord. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything. So Paul's starting his last point, and he starts by saying, finally, finally, in light of everything that we talked about in this letter, finally, I want you to do something. And we've seen a lot in this letter that we've gone through. We've seen how God has blessed Christians, choosing them from before the creation of the world, adopting them to sonship through Christ. Paul prayed for them that they would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He compared them to how they used to be as Gentiles and how they shouldn't live like that anymore, but instead live as followers of Christ, live a life worthy of the calling that they've received. 
From that, we saw how they can live the new life by walking in the way of love and submitting to one another, which we looked at last week. And in light of everything that we've read, Paul commends his readers to, in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This world is tough, and as Christians, we've got to be strong. But that strength does not come from within us. Now, we are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. As followers of Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God and his sons, as his sons and daughters. We are his, and he's going to look after us and protect us as a good father would. And we are being empowered. It's something that's happening to us, not something that we're doing ourselves. And this is something that's a continual thing. Like, it just keeps going. As long as we are in the Lord, he will strengthen us. It's not trying to be a quick fix, but it's over time continually drawing strength from God. Klein Snodgrass writes, to be strong in the Lord means to know his strength and to draw closer to him. It's an exhortation to act on what is known. Now, the, the second part that he talks about here is that we're strong in the Lord's mighty power, the power that is displayed in Christ's resurrection from the grave and his ascension in creation, a power that is never-ending, and it's a source for us to tap into. And how is this accomplished? Well, we see that in Paul's answer, or we see Paul's answer in the first part of verse 11 where he says, put on the full armor of God. Paul's talked about the idea of putting off, putting on throughout this letter. Before he told the Ephesians, put off the old sinful self, be renewed in your heart, in your mind, and to put on the new self in Christ, the new self which was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so now Paul is saying to put on the full armor of God, and we're going to see what that means here in just a minute. But Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord. In order to do this, you've got to put on the full armor of God. So, that when, so then we get to why it's so important for Christians to do with the rest of verse 11 and verse 12. Where he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, contrary to how we act sometimes, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people created in the image of God. We tend to get focused on the things that we can see and touch, right? The physical things we can experience with those senses. And, and people, you know, quite a few times, to put it very bluntly, stink. And we can view them as where our struggle lies as Christians. But Paul says that's not it because we are facing a spiritual battle. John MacArthur once wrote, don't confuse prisoners of war with the enemy. Our struggle is not flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These are all part of the devil's schemes. They're spiritual enemies from Satan. Satan is a formidable foe. He is the adversary, the tempter, the accuser. He opposes God and God's people. Jesus says he is the father of lies. And he has demons to do his bidding. He is called the prince of demons. But we must remember, in light of all of this, he is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing, and he is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He is not God. Now, that's not saying that he's not powerful. I mean, he's pretty good at what he does. 
but he's also already a defeated foe. This week I came across a video from a Dallas pastor uh, named Tony Evans. You may know of Tony Evans, speaker. I've had a chance to hear him in person, and he's written quite a few books. But in this video, he was talking about professional wrestling. Now, does anybody here like professional wrestling? Yes. I know everybody else is just too ashamed to raise your hand, too embarrassed. But anyway, what he's talking about is like pro wrestling, as we all know, or at least I hope I'm not breaking any news to anybody, but it's scripted, right? It's, I, sorry, sorry. Sorry, Casey. (laughs) But the matches have predetermined winners, right? And the way Pastor Evans puts it is like when you see one of those guys getting beat up and beat up and beat up, and they, they get beat up so much that they're on the brink of losing, but then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they come back, and they, they fight back, and, and they win somehow. You know, how, was, how could he do that? Like, he was beaten to a pulp. Well, it's because it was already predetermined that he was going to be the one that won the match, right? It's predetermined he would get the victory. He, he was fighting knowing that he's, his victory was predetermined. As followers of Jesus, we are fighting, not against flesh and blood, not against people, but against Satan and his agents, and we are fighting from a place of victory. We are fighting from a place where the victory has already been predetermined. You're fighting from that place of victory, not defeat. You might lose a battle here or there, but ultimately you fight knowing that the victory will come as God will defeat Satan once and for all. And so with that, we need to move to verse 13, where Paul says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. We are to put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, that enables us to be able to stand our ground, to withstand the attacks of Satan and his demons, to be like the Greeks in Thermopylae who stood in the gap defending against the far greater Persian army, but to last a lot longer than two days. While they lost that battle, ultimately we will not because God is already the victor. We put on this armor, we stand our ground, standing against the devil's schemes, and after everything is said and done, after the battle is over, after everything, we still stand. And so what do we need to put on every day for this battle? Let's take a closer look at the armor of God itself. I'm going to read the whole passage, and we'll go back and discuss each piece of armor individually. And it starts in verse 14, where it says, Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We've had this guy here. Grab him. He's super heavy. We've had this guy here up here the whole time. Oh, he's got a website on him. If you need, to, if you need a knight, go to tinknights.com. <laughs> We've had this for a while, so I don't know if he'll still be. Okay, he's going to be my, my model. <laughs> I know some of you have been like, why is the armor up there? But apparently you forgot that Ephesians has the armor of God. So this little guy is going to be our model that we're going to use to talk about the armor. Well, the problem is he's a little bit more medieval in his armor than what the uh, Greco-Roman world would have been 
what Paul would have been talking about. But I've also got some infographics as well, which we've got one of those here. Hey. That's a little bit more what it looks like, and we'll kind of break it down with each piece of armor um, as, as we go through it. So we'll start with the belt of truth. <laughs> I'm going to say this thing. <laughs> belt of truth buckled around your waist. I find the belt is an essential tool for somebody's wardrobe. A month ago, I, I came out here for Sunday morning to church, and I realized I did not have my belt on. And belt's important because it, like, holds my mic pack and stuff. But it also holds my pants up, which is important. <laughs> we made it through okay, though. We made it through. There's probably just a lot more hitching <laughs> as we were going. But I'll let you try and figure out which week that was. <laughs> but anyway, now I, I really do. Like, I set it out to where I'm not going to forget it <laughs> before I leave. But... The belt for the Roman soldiers, it was important as well. It's where you stored your sword, where you stored your dagger, but it also had these bronze plates to protect your midsection, and it tied your tunic together so you could be prepared to fight when the battle came, and you did it without obstruction. And so that's exactly what God's truth does. It, like a belt, it ties everything together, supporting, supporting everything. God's truth is objective. It is truth, right? So as we tie the belt of truth around our waist, we are both strengthened by God's truth in the gospel, but we also resolve to live by that same truth. Now, the second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. In the movie 300, which is rated R, so of course I would not recommend you go see it. You know, it's not not worth it. But soldiers' costumes were highly stylized, and they didn't wear like a breastplate or a shirt or a tunic even. Um, they, they wore a cape because that's the most practical way to go into battle. Um, but obviously that's not how actual soldiers would have done it in Greco-Roman times. Uh, they would have worn a breastplate, which is this bronze or iron-skilled armor that protected their vital organs and everything. And so Paul's saying, you've got to put on your breastplate of righteousness. So what is righteousness? Well, my Bible dictionary defines righteousness as the quality, state, characteristic of being in the right. It's, it's the morally good. The, the tricky part is that we're human, and we've got this innate sinful nature, and so we really don't have a righteousness of our own. Uh, Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. And so if there's nobody righteous, then what righteousness are we putting on? Well, it's God's, and it's been freely given to us at to followers of Jesus, based on Christ's death and resurrection, on the basis of their faith. We were sinful. Jesus was not. And he lived a sinless life so that he could be the sacrifice on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so God has declared us righteous. We have become the righteousness of God. And, and what is it that we put on? It, we put on that breastplate of righteousness. But what does that mean? That means we are to reflect God's righteous character in our everyday lives. That means that what God says is right and, and good, morally right and good, based on the truth that he is God, that is what we should be aligning our lives to. And, and that's what we're reflecting to others as well. It's how we should be living in God's righteousness. All right, next piece of armor, 
is in verse 15 where Paul writes, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So these are shoes, shoes that we need to go into battle. When I golf, which is not battle, I wear different shoes. I wear golfing shoes. Mine have this molded sole to them. Not unlike this, but they're grippy, right? They're grippy so I don't slip when I swing. And, and because if you slip, you're going to hit the ball pretty bad. Now, I hit the ball bad sometimes without slipping. But if I do slip, it goes really bad. And then I get mad. And then I have to repent. <laughs> There's different kinds of golf shoes. So you can get some with spikes on them and, or, or like mine that are where it's molded. But the idea is that you have grip um, where you can grip the ground with your shoes. Roman soldiers actually had a pretty similar idea in their sandals, which they fought in. You can see in the picture, there are some silver dots. I think they're silver. Yeah. There are some silver dots on the bottom of the sandal, and those were called hobnails. And they're short nails, and they were used to reinforce the boot. Um, but they were also, what they'd also do is they'd put them in there so they'd stick out a little bit. And so they would be like golf cleats, baseball cleats, things like that. Uh, and it would provide them traction. And so when battle would come, they'd be, they'd be able to like get traction and be able to stand firm, really, against their enemies. Now, Paul says we're to fit our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel is what we are firmly grounded in. The gospel is the good news of Christ's death and resurrection. We are grounded in the gospel of peace so we can withstand attacks from the enemy. And what do I mean when I say that we're grounded in the gospel? It means that without the gospel, we're exposed. There's no hope of rescue when Satan comes for us. But with the gospel, we trust that God will rescue us. Because that's what the gospel is. It's his rescue plan. So it doesn't matter what Satan throws at us because God has us in his hands. Like Paul says in Romans 8, he says, If God's for us, who can be against us? So we need to fit ourselves with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. All right, moving along, we come to the point where Paul writes in verse 16, he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we have the shield of faith. This is a pretty small shield. <laughs> this is ridiculous. What is that going to do? Stop a dagger, maybe? I don't know. It's much bigger. Roman shields were way bigger than this. Like, they were about four feet tall. Um, they were two and a half feet wide. And they were constructed with, like, leather stretched over wood. And, and they'd work together. The, the Romans would work together with each other, work together the infantrymen. They'd overlap their shields to provide effective protection. And also working together, they could push back against the enemy. Now, Paul says, take up your shield of faith that you're not going to try and fight this battle on your own. Because if you do, you're going to fail. We're pretty frail creatures. That's why we need a shield. And our faith in God is a testament to the fact that we are not relying just on ourselves. We're not relying on our own power to deliver us, but instead on God's faithfulness to pull us through, to protect us, to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It is God's power which will deliver us, his faithfulness, and he is faithful. Now, there's two more pieces to the armor. First, we got the helmet of salvation. Obviously, a helmet's going to protect your noggin, right? 
Roman helmets were kind of cool, though. They covered your head. They also had these plates that come down on the side that, like, would protect your cheeks. Um, and then some had the feathers or whatever, uh, horse hair on top of the head, on, on the crest of the helmet. I, I, that was, I think, to help signify rank, at least from what I could find. The helmet which Paul tells us to put on is the helmet of salvation. And again, it's kind of similar to what we've talked about already, where it's not necessarily to where, you know, like we're being saved, but it's that we've already been saved. And we rest in that. We, we're secure in that. As, as Snodgrass writes, God's salvation is the ultimate assurance of protection. And as we've talked about, the salvation is not just like the present, but it's a present and future salvation. You know, we can trust that God has already saved us, so any attack from the enemy will ultimately be futile. We may be damaged. We may go through it when we are under attack, but ultimately we will be saved. And finally, we get to the last piece of armor, and that's the sword of the Spirit. That is the word of God. Every piece of this armor that we've talked about really is a defensive piece of armor. It's to protect you and your body. But honestly, the sword, not that much different, really, because it is, it is offensive, of course, but it can be used defensively as well. There's a counter move uh, for defensively using your sword. It's called a parry. It's when somebody attacks you and you use your sword to deflect the blow aside. So parrying is not just for swords, but, you know, what we're talking about, that's what we're going to focus on. That's what we're talking about, swords. So if somebody comes at you, you can swing not only not to attack, but to defend. You block the blow, then you counterattack. We arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One of the best places we see the Word of God being used to deflect attacks is when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. Matthew 4 describes these encounters. We're really just going to look at one of these, but Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and nights in the wilderness, and Matthew tells us that he was hungry, as I'm sure you would be. Satan comes to tempt Christ, and he begins by saying, you know, well, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Basically, he's like, well, you're hungry. You're the son of God. So, turning these stones into bread, that's nothing for you. You were part of the creation of the world. You can do this. But in verse his response, where he answered, it is written, man shall live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Three times Satan tried to tempt Christ. Three times Jesus used scripture to defend against those attacks. The word of God, empowered by the Spirit, is how the Christian is best protected and empowered for life. All of these are important for Christians to put on every day in our struggle against the enemy. But there's really one more that kind of binds all of these together, and that's prayer. Verse uh, 18 through 20 in Ephesians 6, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We have access to our God through prayer. 
So pray. Paul writes, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So when should we pray? All the time, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul writes, pray continually. Like have a running conversation with God. You don't have to use all the fancy words and all the, you know, trying to say all the right things and everything. No. Just talk like you would talk to your dad or friend. God knows what's going on in your life. He wants to have the conversation with you about it. So talk to him. And pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. Like you can ask him anything. Sometimes the answer is going to be no. Sometimes it's going to be wait. Sometimes it's going to be yes. But you got to pray. And don't just pray for yourself either. Paul writes to be alert and pray for all the Lord's people. Pray for each other. You know, we send a prayer list out every week so that we can pray for God's people who a lot of times are going through some difficult stuff. And when you tell somebody that you're going to pray for them, actually pray for them. I know I'm probably not the only person that's done that. I don't do it much anymore because I have a list that I keep. (laughs) Come to the midweek service this week. And we have where you can pray in groups or pray alone. But we give you 20 minutes of dedicated time to pray during that service. And we'll give you a copy of our prayer list, which also includes our leadership, because that leads to the next thing, because Paul requested prayer on his behalf. And even though he was in prison, what did you not read there? It's not, get me out of prison. Pray that God will release me from prison. It wasn't that. It was that words would be given to him when he spoke that he would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And the leaders at Maple Grove, the elders, the staff, and me, we ask that you pray for us too. Prayer is a powerful weapon that we've been given by God. Now the final few verses, they close out Paul's letter here. We'll just kind of read through these. Verse 21, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And that ends Paul's letter to the Ephesian church and our study of it. And I hope it's been a blessing for you. We've said it before, but you can take a lot of this letter. It's kind of like Paul is writing it to us today. It's, it's like there wasn't 2,000 years of history in between it. And, and while it wasn't written directly to us, it still apply a lot of what Paul wrote pretty directly to our lives still today. And if you come out to the midweek service, this is what I'm going to read during our time of reading Scripture is the letter to the Ephesians. Just go straight through it from beginning to end. And I bet that there are going to be some things more now that we've spent some time on it. But for now, we go out from here, we put on our armor of God every single day, 
because the enemy is real, and he's always looking for ways to attack the people of God. And there's kind of two ways that we can, we can approach that. You know, we can be afraid. We can be like, well, it's out of our hands. Or we can be like, yeah, we're going to be under attack. That probably means we're doing something right. But we're going to put on our armor every day. Be prepared each and every day to be strong in the Lord and to stand firm. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, that is our prayer. That we would be able to be strong in you and be able to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy because we know that they come. Some of us have have been attacked by him. And we know that it's, it's difficult. We know it's hard to get through, but we know, Lord, that you are always with us. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. And we know that if you are for us, who on earth or in heaven can be against us? And we know that you're for us, Lord. And that is what we take comfort in. Father, help us to put on the, the armor every day to be able to withstand the attacks, but to rest more than just withstanding the attacks, but to rest in you, to have that trust and faith in you to know that you are faithful, that you are righteous, that you are truth, and that you will, it's your gospel, Lord. It's your good news and your word that protect us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for that gospel, the good news of Christ. 2,000 years ago, went to a cross, took our sin, became sin for us. And we thank you. Thank you so much for that. We come to the time in our service where we come around the table to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made with our communion, the, the, the bread, his body broken the juice, his blood spilled, but also the cup of a new covenant. And Lord, we, we know we're, we're turning over the calendar to that wonderful time of year where we celebrate his birth as well. And we so look forward to that here at Maple Grove and, and in our homes and families to be able to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for thank you for putting that plan into place. Thank you for Jesus to to be that plan to go to the cross. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.